Well, today is our first day of the actual ladies' study, and tonight's topic will be precious treasure, found in Ephesians 1, 1 through 3. But before we get started, I want to read a story to you. And it's about a young man who was getting ready to graduate from college. For many months, he had admired a beautiful sports car in a dealer's showroom. And knowing that his father could well afford it, he told them that was all he wanted. And as graduation day approached, the young man awaited signs that his father had purchased the car for him. And finally, on the day he was to graduate, his father called him into his private study, told him how proud he was to have such a fine son and how much he loved him. Then he handed him a beautifully wrapped gift box. Curious, but somewhat disappointed, the young man opened the box and found a lovely leather-bound Bible with his name embossed on it in gold. He was angry, so he raised his voice to his father and said, with all your money, you give me a Bible rather than the sports car I wanted? And then he stormed out of the house, leaving the Bible behind. Many years would pass, and the young man was very successful in the business he went in. He had a beautiful home and a wonderful family, but the bitterness he had towards his father had kept him away since that graduation day. And one day he received a phone call from a funeral home director telling him that his father had passed away and had willed all of his possessions to him. He was told that he needed to come home immediately and take care of things. Now, when the son arrived at the father's house, sadness and regret filled his heart. He began to teach through, or excuse me, search through his father's important documents and saw the Bible his father had given him for graduation. The Bible looked new, just like it had years ago when he was given it. With tears in his eyes, he opened the Bible and began to turn through the pages. His father had carefully underlined a verse which was Matthew 7, 11, which reads, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? As the son read those words, a car key dropped from the back of the Bible. It had a tag on it with the car dealer's name, the same dealer who had that beautiful sports car that he wanted so badly for his college graduation. And on the tag was the date of his graduation and the words written in large print, paid in full. You see, the young man had a couple of problems going on here, didn't he? He had no idea of the treasure that was offered him. Of course, we know that treasure was the word of God because nothing else can satisfy, but also that there was... A, a car involved in that. His anger at his father was because he had perceived that his dad was just being cheap and keep, kept him from receiving that real treasure. And likewise, we also can misunderstand what God is doing for us and we only see the external. We just see the struggle sometimes we go through. And Ephesians is packed full of treasures and blessings that many times we overlook because like this young man, we some, sometimes don't see what's inside of God's amazing gift. And with that, let's pray and get into God's word. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the many, many blessings that you have poured out on us, even today, 
those things that maybe we haven't seen, but you are working behind the scenes, preparing our hearts, orchestrating our lives to bless us, to give us peace, to give us amazing, precious gifts. And as we go through these three amazing verses, Lord, would you speak to us, through us? Would you help us to keep our eyes focused on you and you alone? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the year is A.D. 62. 32 years has passed since Jesus ascended to heaven. And through the teaching of the apostles whom Jesus sent out, the church had grown exponentially into a force to be reckoned with. And that is when uh, there was persecution going on because the Romans, they didn't like what was happening. And Paul will speak a lot about the wealth, about wealth in this letter because in Ephesus, it was considered like the Bank of Asia. So it's kind of like, you know, it was known like Chase Bank or maybe like a Swiss bank or something like that, right? And in fact, one of the seven wonders of the world, the great temple of Diana was in Ephesus and was not only a center for idolatrous worship, but also a depository for wealth. Uh, some of the greatest art treasures of the ancient world were housed in this magnificent building. And in this letter, Paul will compare the church of Jesus Christ to a temple that will explain and will explain the great wealth that Christ has for his church in his church. And it was one of those most impactful churches in history is where our story be begins. And it's Ephesians chapter 1 Verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. So right away we know this book is written by Paul. And as we studied last week, Paul more than likely started this small church in Ephesus that was growing. And we first see that Paul refers to himself as an apostle. Now, we are all disciples of Christ, but there were a few that were chosen as apostles. We know them as the apostles apostles of Jesus. The, the, you know, Peter, John, Matthew, all those guys, you know, they were apostles. And simply what that means is one sent forth. In other words, they have a, a calling on their life. And Paul is unique because unlike the other 12 apostles, he didn't literally hang out with Jesus like the others did. And he had a completely different experience. And it's found in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 16. It's a little bit long, but it bears reading because it kind of gives us a background of who Paul is, how he got to this place. And it begins verse 1. Meanwhile, Paul was uttering threats. Excuse me, Saul, he wasn't Paul yet, was uttering threats with every breath. So this guy was very zealous, wasn't he? And was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. Now that's what they were called, the way, the followers of the way, or the believers, the church, the new church. And he wanted to bring them, both men and women, this guy was ruthless, back to Jerusalem in chains. And so literally this is, guy is like the villain. And this is Saul, the Pharisee, was a villain. And as he was approaching Damascus on his mission, 
a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, can you imagine how stunned he must have been? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Wow. I mean, can you imagine if you were faced with that? Driving home tonight and you see uh, somebody in the middle of Vermont Avenue saying, why are you persecuting me? And you say, who are you? I'm Jesus. I mean, just um, wrap your head around that. It must have been amazing to, to witness. He says, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Now the men with Saul stood speechless for they had heard the sound of someone's voice but saw no one. Saul picked himself off the ground but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. So I don't know if he was fasting, just kind of waiting for something to happen, or if he was depressed. He was probably thinking, oh my goodness, I've gotten this all wrong. What's going to happen to me? Story continues. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest anyone who calls upon your name. I think that's a legitimate question, right? And I love that the Lord doesn't, doesn't scold us for asking. Have you ever done that? Say, Lord, why is this going on? Why are you doing this? It says, but the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So this Saul, this Pharisee, who was persecuting Christians, will now become Paul, and he was one called forth. One called forth. He was now an apostle of Jesus Christ. So he was once a Pharisee. He persecuted Christians, And now God calls him to be the pastor of a Gentile church. Now, to give you a little background, Pharisees are supposed to be like the the cream of the crop of all the religious guys. I mean, they know the law so good. I mean, they pride themselves in giving to the church, serving the church, and knowing the law. I mean, they're like lawyers in that case. And now he is called to minister to Gentiles which they considered unclean. But you can't make this kind of stuff up, can you? I mean, only God can change the heart of somebody like Saul, turn him into Paul the Apostle, and he is called by the will of God. Called to do what? Well, anything that the Lord wants him to do. And in this case, Paul is called to minister to the church in Ephesus. So continuing on in our verse 1. 
to the saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus. I love that he addresses it to the saints. But what does that mean? Well, according to the dictionary, a saint, a person acknowledged as holy or virtuous and typically regarded as being in heaven after death and canonized. So what makes this official recognition? Well, Usually, some religious body, and we'll leave, you can probably guess who, and the process by which a person becomes a saint is technically, technically known as canonization. Now, the deceased person's life is examined very carefully to see whether he qualifies for sainthood. And if the candidate's character and conduct are found to be above reproach, if he has been responsible for working at least two miracles, then he is qualified to be a saint. The problem with this definition is that it's nowhere in the Bible, which means that this is a man-made tradition and not a valid view. So, er, what does it actually mean? What is a saint? Well, one who is set apart. The correct meaning of the word saint means we are to be separated from the rest of the world, not physically, because we're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. But we're supposed to be that light to the rest of the world. But this, is, this word is derived from the word sanctified, which means set apart. So who is a saint? Guess what? We are all saints. So you can be Saint Susie and Saint Marian and Saint Barbara. Hi, Barbara. <laughs> you know, we're all saints. So who is this being written to? all of us. We're being spoken to through this. We Woo we're saints. Amen. And this is confirmed throughout scripture that we are constantly being sanctified by the Holy Spirit which dwells in us. So take all these words to heart because they are written to you by the Holy Spirit. Then verse 2 goes on to say, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we open our first heavenly treasure, and it's grace and peace. I love that. And where does this grace and peace come from? It tells us, from our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at these two. What is grace? We're going to look at that first. I love that grace is mentioned 12 times in the book of Ephesians. But grace is the kindness of God towards undeserving people. We are undeserving of God's grace, but he gives it to us anyway. It's free. Grace and mercy, which is not getting what we deserve. In other words, we have grace is getting, getting what we don't deserve, and mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And they're often found together in the Bible. And they certainly belong together in the salvation experience. And likewise, grace and faith go together also. Because the only way to experience grace and salvation is through faith, which we will later see in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. That way, none of us can boast. And that kind of grace is being poured out to us by our Lord. John 1, 16 and 17 tells us, and from his fullness, we have, re we have all received grace upon grace. 
We have all received it. That means each one of us have received grace upon grace. And I love that. It's like stacked up grace, you know, like pancakes. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So everything we have is because of the grace given to us by our Lord Jesus. He didn't have to give us anything, but he gave us grace because why? He loves us so much. And for that reason, he shows us grace and mercy. Then verse 2 goes on to say, we also have peace from God and our Lord Jesus. So true peace can only come from God. Amen? I think we can all agree on that. But as humans, we often think that certain things or attributes will give us peace. If I only had true love, I would have peace. If only I had enough money, I would have peace. If only I had more opportunities, I would have peace. If only I was really smart, I would have peace. I mean, it's something right out of the Wizard of Oz. You know, if I only had a brain or if I only had a heart, if I only had courage, if I only had a home. See, these are worldly things. They're not bad things, but they are worldly things. And even if we got all of this, it would still not give us the peace that we so desperately want in our lives. Why? Because these are worldly things. They're not spiritual things. True peace comes from God and Jesus and no other. And it looks nothing like the world's peace. John 14, 27 tells us, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I love that. Jesus, when he left, he gave us peace through the power of the Holy Spirit. John 16, 33, I have said these things, if you read ahead, it's difficult times are coming. It says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace during those storms. This is important. In the world you will have tribulation. Not you might, you will have tribulation. It seems to be the plight of man because we always make so many mistakes, don't we? But take heart, I have overcome the world. In other words, those things cannot rob us of our peace if our peace is found in Jesus and nothing else. But if we're looking for our peace to be in our possessions, our intelligence, you name it. I mean, place anything there besides Jesus and it will never satisfy. Never satisfy. Ephesians 4, 6 and 7 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Well, there's a novel idea. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace. Did you see the promise there? Ask God, thank him for all he has done, and then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. In other words, we don't understand it. How am I so peaceful right now during this storm? Well, it's because Jesus gives us the peace. It says, his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. I love that. He will guard your heart and minds 
if we keep our eyes on Jesus, we take our eyes off of Jesus. You remember what happened when Jesus was walking on water and Peter says, oh, let me jump on the water too and walk to you. What happened when Peter took his eyes off of Jesus? He began to sink. It's because he took his eyes off Jesus. When we take our eyes off Jesus, that's when we begin to lose our peace. So how is this accomplished? Just like Ephesians 6.6 tells us, which is backed up by this verse, 1 Peter 5.7. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Give all your worries to God, for he cares about you. Now, you might be saying to yourself, that is much easier said than done, perhaps, But why would it be difficult for us to do? Well, we don't trust, do we? Sometimes we just don't trust God. But the word of God wouldn't tell us to do something that we couldn't do. All it takes is a little faith. We do our part. God will do the rest. Jesus said to the disciples when they were struggling with their faith, Matthew 17, 20, and 21, He says, you don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. And they were trying to cast out a demon, and that's what prompted this conversation. He says, I tell you the truth. If you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. One last note about verse 2 of our scripture this week is the phrase, in Jesus Christ. And something similar or a similar phrase like that is mentioned 27 times in the the book of Ephesians. So if we don't have enough faith, we need to pray and trust in Jesus' name that he would accomplish these things, that he would give you that peace that you so desperately want. So what does this mean? Every treasure we have is because of our Lord Jesus. Every treasure that we are going to be given in this book of Ephesians is from Jesus Christ. It describes the spiritual position of the believer. That's what this does. We are identified with Christ. We are Christians. We are little Christ is what that means. And if we are in Christ, we're able to draw on all the wealth that Jesus wants to give us. All that, those spiritual blessings. And of course, when I, when I mention wealth, I'm talking not about worldly wealth. I'm talking about the wealth that flows from our Heavenly Father to us. Verse 3 goes on to say, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So now we come to the theme of the book of Ephesians, and it's God the Father has made us rich in Christ Jesus because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. When you were born again into God's family, you were born rich. It's like you've now been adopted by the wealthiest guy in the universe. And he wants to pour out all these blessings on us. 
And because of what Jesus did, God sees us as righteous because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And that is the reason why we can share in God's riches and his grace and God's mercy and the unsearchable riches of Christ. I love that, those unsearchable things. In other words, we have no idea how many blessings are available to us. They're just so massive. It's like looking at a treasure chest full of diamonds and rubies, and you're told, you know, find this little trinket, you know, and it's just overflowing. It's just unsearchable. There's so much in there. That is what Ephesians does. You see, our Heavenly Father is not poor by any shake of the imagination. He is rich, and he has made us rich also. So now we have access to every spiritual blessing, and God never holds anything back. He wants us to unpack this amazing treasure chest one by one and say, wow, I didn't know I had that. Or, wow, isn't that beautiful? I have that too, and this, and this, and this. So what can we take away from this? You see, God doesn't want us to be a pauper. Psalms 50 tells us that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He is willing and waiting for us to just ask for his blessings. And yet we hesitate, don't we? We would sometimes rather live a life of difficulties than relying on on Jesus, relying on God for our sustenance. There's a woman in history. She was born in 1834, died 1916. And Hetty's thriftiness was legendary. It was said she never turned on the heat or used hot water in her home because she was so cheap. She wore one old black dress and undergarments that she changed only after they had been worn out. She did not wash her hands, and she rode in an old cranky carriage. She ate mostly meat pies that cost her 15 cents. One witness claims that Green spent half a night searching her carriage for a lost stamp worth two cents. Another witness said she instructed her uh, laundry service to watch only the dirtiest parts of her dresses, which were the hymns, to save money on soap. In her old age, she developed a hernia but refused to have an operation, preferring to use a stick to press down the swelling. Ow, that sounds like that would hurt. Okay, her son Ned, listen to this, this is tragic, had to suffer a leg amputation because she delayed so long in looking for a free clinic. And there are many stories about how cheap she exactly was. I mean, this woman was really, really cheap. So you're saying, why did you tell me all this, okay? Some of us, we have to live this way, right? Okay, listen to this. She died on July 3rd, 1916, at the age of 81, with an estimated $200 million in the bank, right? Which would be to equivalent of about $5 billion today. So this woman was beyond rich. She was known to be one of the richest women in the world. She also earned the title of the world's greatest miser in the Guinness Book of World Records. She had amazing wealth, and yet she chose to live the life of a pauper, never using her money. She hoarded it all. 
See, God doesn't want us to live our Christian lives not using all the blessings available to us. He wants us to look into that treasure chest and say, wow, I could use this and I can use that to enrich my life, rich, enrich those around me, all those beautiful spiritual blessings. You may be asking yourself, well, you know, is that really all that important? I'm kind of comfortable the way I am. I'm a good person. Second Peter tells us why this is so important. Chapter 1, verses 3 through 8, it says, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Did you hear that? Everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises Supplement your faith with generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly or sisterly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what does this all add up to? Because we desire to dig out all these treasures, the result is going to be peace in our lives, peace with others, peace with God. And when we have peace, we are like this beacon to the lost in this world. And when we have all, when we're taking advantage of all these spiritual treasures that God is handing to us, People will be drawn to us. They want to know what makes you so different. Why are you, uh, how can you not be falling apart during, you know, the, the trial that you're going through? People want to know. Can you think of a better opening? See, God promises to supply all our needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus and he allows us to go through difficult times just so that people who are watching us see how we handle when we apply all these treasures and blessings to our lives, even during the difficult times. You see, it doesn't mean that we're not going to have difficult times. It just means he gives us all the equipment to get through those difficult times. The Father has given us every blessing of the Spirit, everything we need for a successful, satisfying Christian life. And the spiritual is far more important than the material blessings. Amen to that? So let's not be like this young man at the beginning, our story about the young man who wouldn't talk to his dad, never knowing that he actually had a sports car. He never went to pick it up at the dealership. Can you imagine? Because he never knew it was there because he didn't get past his anger at, why would you give me a Bible when I asked for a sports car? You see, the true treasure was the Bible, wasn't it? 
because in that he would have everything he needed to have a fruitful, peaceful, a life full of grace. And Ephesians has much, much more treasure to be, to be had. This is just a couple of things that we have, just a small portion. And now we have, I don't know how many verses, but we have six chapters, and we just went through three verses of those six chapters. So I'm sure we're going to be unloading tons and tons of treasure. So let's dig them all out, every nugget you can possibly find. Amen? All right, let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, what an amazing book you have given to us. The book in itself is a wonderful blessing. It is a treasure. Help us to find all the other treasures that you have hidden within this book. Help us to be Bereans of your word, searching the scriptures so that we can have a victorious Christian life. And so, Lord, we love you. We thank you. Help us to meditate upon all of this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.